Alrighty, let's get into the meat of today's episode, and we'll start off with Russia beginning a strategic missile bombing campaign of the port city of Odessa, which is the, the large city in the south of Ukraine that was previously used for the export of a lot of their grain and for the import of a lot of the of a lot of their well their imports. It's the largest port city that they have. Russia's now begun bombing this. Now, if you'll remember, if you'll remember, with the grain deal, Russia expressly restricted itself and refrained from bombing ships going in or out of Ukraine. That was part of the grain deal. As part of a, the Ukrainians will be allowed to get their grain out of the country, and honestly, a lot of other agricultural products out of the country in exchange for Russia also having similar access to those routes. And, well, the grain deal is over now. And we talked about that in the last episode. The Russians citing multiple violations on the part of the Ukrainians in that, one, they were using these same safe passage routes to import and smuggle weapons into Ukraine. And there were also stipulations that Western countries would excuse me, that Western countries would lift their sanctions on Russian agricultural producers so that Russia would be more easily able to export its own agricultural products through the same shipping lanes and etc. That didn't happen. So you combine weapons smuggling into Ukraine and the West, again, refusing to honor their end of the deal. And now Russia backed out of the deal. And with Russia backing out of the deal, they begun bombing the port city of Odessa. They began shooting at ships in the Black Sea, which just goes to show how much this deal was more favorable to the Ukrainians than necessarily the Russians, because the Russians are still going to export their grain. They're still going to export their agricultural products. Essentially, this was just a litmus test to see if we were trustworthy enough to be able to honor a deal because the Russians had an out. They had a back door. It was their own interbank payment system. It was the SIPs, the cross-border interbank payment system uh, that, that China has. They already had multiple other means of exporting their grain. They didn't necessarily need us to unsanction them from SWIFT, but that was a part of the, the deal, the, the grain deal. And we didn't do that. Ukraine used those safe harbors to import weapons. At least this is what the Russians allege and accused them of. And now the deal is done, which means that Ukrainian shipping is once again fair game for Russia. And instead of just randomly bombing ships, they're just bombing the ports. And I said that they were attacking Ukrainian ships. Um, that was, uh, I got ahead of myself. But <laughs> unless you count ships in port. In which case, oh yeah, they're definitely being hit. But the Russians have really just been targeting the ports so that the ships have nowhere to go. And you can't use them. You can't use the port. And it's not even just Odessa. It's a number of other port cities along Ukraine's Black Sea coast. The Black Sea coast that they have left is Russia's sort of stolen half of it. Uh, not even counting Crimea. <coughs> not even counting Crimea. Excuse me. My goodness. But with this... Uh, this bombing campaign, which is now uh, taking all of Ukraine's Black Sea coastline by storm, 
we can once again see that Russia is in fact not running out of ammunition or missiles. And instead, this demonstrates the degradation of Ukraine's air defense systems and demonstrates that Ukraine is the one out of ammunition, specifically air defense missiles. And when I say out of, of course, I mean that they're just really, really, really low, such that it's almost strategically irrelevant. They're the ones running out of ammo because they can't defend them. The fact that these bombs are hitting, these missiles are hitting their targets means that the Ukrainian air defenses was incapable of taking down these missiles. And that's a big deal because Ukraine fortified its capital, Kiev, and the city of Odessa. Those are some of its most fortified places. And then, of course, the rest went to the front line. So for Odessa, of all places, to be coming under such heavy bombardment, hints at, again, the degradation of Ukraine's air defense. And now we're really, again, seeing the consequences of them running out. And we got reports that they ran out back in, like, uh, towards March because of that missile bombing campaign that the Russians have been un undertaking since October of last year, where they were just randomly striking certain areas in Ukraine, largely targeting the power grid. The Ukrainians would have to respond, and then they would just target the areas where the Ukrainians rebuilt. And this gradually wore down Ukraine's ability to defend itself because it ate away at the stores of missiles that the Ukrainians had available to combat these Russian missiles and these Russian bombardments. And now that they're out, the Russians have impunity. They, they, the Russian Air Force has become a lot more active ever since March and April of this year when the Ukrainian air defenses effectively evaporated. So we saw that happening. We saw the Russian Air Force get more active because for the longest time I was wondering where they were. And then they, they showed me where they were. They were just sitting there waiting for Ukraine's air defenses to be weak enough for them to get through. Now they're doing routine bombing missions close to the front line, you know, not, not going very deep into Ukraine. They just use missiles for that. And now here again, we see, uh, well, before this, we saw that the Russians were bombing Ukrainian munitions uh, warehouses and their stores of ammunition, which again, Ukraine wasn't able to defend because they didn't have the air defense. Now their port cities are under attack. The Russians are just increasingly having greater and greater impunity when it comes to striking Ukraine with missiles and with planes. And that's because Ukraine's air defense has been so heavily degraded that they can't mount effective resistance. And all this, and these are the same air defense systems, mind you, that we were supposed to believe took down a Kinzhal hypersonic missile. And we're supposed to believe also that these are the same air, that these air defenses were able to routinely shoot down 90% or more of the missiles that Russia sent at them every time the Russians did a, a, a bombardment. The, the, these are the same people, the, the same Ukrainian soldiers, the, the same air defense systems that we're supposed to believe did those things in the past are now incapable of stopping these missiles. So either they were just great and now they're out of ammo or somebody was lying and it's 
probably some combination of the two, probably some combination of the two, uh, and I'll say this, America cannot shoot down a hypersonic missile. So the idea that someone armed with our weapons is going to be able to shoot down a hypersonic missile is nonsense. So another layer of propaganda gets dismantled by the, the facts on the ground. What we also have here is that Russia, and this is sort of a separate story that is related to this one, we have Russia offering to give grain to countries for free. And this was a very interesting thing. And from it, I have extrapolated. Now, this is speculation here, but, you know, come along for the ride with me. I think, uh, and I'll just get into what I think the measure is designed to do. They're giving away grain for free. Now, this is likely a measure designed, one, to keep the multipolar world on board with Russia continuing the war. Because Russia, as long as they are on side with Russia, Russia can take their time. The second they, they get impatient and they grow tired of the war, Russia starts. Russia has to amp it up. They have to put more pressure on Ukraine. They have to wrap it up. Uh, but so long as the multipolar world is on Russia's side, the Russians can take their time. So this, this free grain deal, to replace the grain deal, the free grain deal, is probably one meant to keep the multipolar world on side with Russia. And it's number two, it's meant to allow Russian grain producers to take up Ukraine's market share around the world, because who's going to say no to free? Especially if you can't even get the Ukrainian grain to begin with. You're, you're just going to opt out of Ukrainian grain and opt into Russian grain. The Russians are offering it for free, so you may as well. So keep the multipolar world on Russia's side. Allow Russian grain producers to eat up Ukraine's market share around the world. Uh, and three... It's probably there is probably a humanitarian aspect to this as well that they just don't want people to start dying of starvation because a lot of countries in the third world who are not necessarily dependent on Russian grain are dependent on Ukrainian grain. So if the the grain deal is now dead in the water, uh, no pun intended, someone's got to fill the void, and the Russians said, "Hey, it may as well be us. This will be beneficial to us in the future." At least that's what my assumption of their intentions are here. So here's what I believe that this is meant to do. Uh, well, that that's what I believe it's meant to do, but here's what I think it means. The fact that they're giving away this grain for free tells us that Russia feels confident in the strength of their economy, that they can just go giving away one of their largest exports uh, at least to some degree, they're giving it away for free. To what degree, I'm not entirely sure. It also tells us that Russia likely doesn't anticipate the war continuing for more than, say, a few more years. And I say that because if they're giving grain away for free, then that means that Russia is going to be subsidizing the production of that grain. Because it's not going to be sold, it's going to be uh, but it has to be paid for. So if it's not going to be sold, then it won't. the Russian government has to foot the bill. Or else you're not going to have any grain to give away for free. And given that post-Soviet Russia has avoided subsidizing things that it feels it doesn't need to subsidize, i.e. not paying for things that it feels it doesn't need to pay for, then this free grain arrangement is also most likely going to be temporary. I believe it's going to be a temporary measure 
that will probably end around the same time that the war does. And unless Russia plans to subsidize grain shipments in perpetuity, which is what happened if the war were to become a frozen one, like some of these analysts who think that we're going to freeze the conflict. If the war becomes a frozen one, well, then this grain, this free grain deal would have to go on forever. And then I don't think that the Russians would have done this deal if they expected that the war was going to become a frozen one. But what it tells me is that they probably don't plan on continuing this free grain deal for more than a few years either. Why? Because the war is going to be over in a few years or less, which means that, well, Russia will have access to all that Ukrainian grain and they can just export it to all the places that used to get from Ukraine. It's the same grain, just from a different supplier now. So now you don't need us to give it away for free because uh, all the grain's here. It's right here. So you're just going to be paying us for it now instead of Ukraine. And, oh, would you look at that? You were already buying grain from us because we were getting it for free. Well, now we have more grain to give. So it's it's going to be cheaper because there's more, there's more of it. But, you know, you're going to have to pay a price for it. And I think that that's how this is going to go down. I think that this free grain deal tells us that Russia does not anticipate the war going on for very much longer because I don't think they would like to subsidize something that they can produce quite well uh, for an extended period of time. I don't think that they want to subsidize grain production, especially since that's one of the few things they don't, they really don't need to do. So with the death of the grain deal, Russia now targeting Ukrainian shipping facilities and rendering their ports inoperable combined with Russia, you know, taking up, filling the void left by Ukrainian grain. That's, that's inevitably going to be left from Ukrainian grain, just not even being able to get out to the wider markets. Uh, even in its diminished numbers, we saw how the, the production fell to like half. And then below that, when the war started, the production of Ukrainian grain, all this comes together to tell us that the Russians are gearing up for the final phase. Because now with the ports being shut down, we go back to siege warfare. As I had thought that the Russians were going to go for in the beginning when I had to, when I had to make my first readjustment to the way in which the Russians were conducting the war, and it was siege warfare. It was largely, that was largely siege war. We were, we were looking at the siege of Mariupol. We were looking at the siege of Bakhmut. We were looking, at the time, we were looking at a, a semi-siege of, you know, Kiev. Although the Russians pulled out of that as per that draft treaty. But we were looking at a lot of sieges. And we were seeing the power of the urban center as a defensive structure. So given that the war was a siege war being played out with lots of artillery, where you're sieging down cities, you're sieging down the enemy trenches, you're essentially sieging down an entire countryside, which is what the Russians have been forced to do, then nat the natural extension of that would be to siege down not just the countryside, but the country itself. You know, blockade their ability to export their goods, bombing the railways, which we saw Russia doing as well, 
bombing their energy sectors, bomb, taking away their, stripping them of their manufacturing so that they can't produce, which is uh, large, large portions of Ukraine's manufacturing is in the Donbass, which has been stripped away from them. Sieging down their agriculture. You're, you're taking away Ukrainian agricultural land. Large swaths of it is now under Russian control. And then you bomb the ports. I thought that Russia was going to go for a sort of anaconda strategy around the entirety of Ukraine, where they would just gradually strangle the Ukrainian economy as the war went on, especially since Russia's economy was still kicking. They didn't do that. They opted for arguably a much more humanitarian role. But now the grain deal is dead. And Russia is tightening the noose. Now they're bombing more, they're bombing Ukrainian warehouses where they're keeping their ammunition. They're bombing Ukrainian port facilities. They're probably going to go back to bombing Ukrainian railways when they, you know, when they feel like putting an end to this thing and really destroying and degradating, degradating, degrading Ukraine's ability to move things around within their own country. So they have to use roads and dirt roads and fields which are just not conducive to the movement of heavy vehicles especially during uh, when it's muddy which is great for russia because the russians have their have their infrastructure and their logistics in, in order i think that we're going to witness the siege of an entire country now that's what i think and i think that with the death of the grain deal and the policies that russia is implementing to replace it I think that we're seeing the war start to enter into its final stages. That's going to mean a siege of not Kiev, not of Bakhmut, not of Mariupol, but a siege of Ukraine as a nation. And it's not a siege that I see Ukraine surviving. But there might be an out for some of the Ukrainians. There just might be an out for them. This segment was taken from my podcast, This Week in Geopolitics. I have new episodes every Monday, so if you like what you heard, consider giving me a follow. Thanks for listening, and hopefully I'll see you next time. Servus.